Welcome to the table. It's really, really good to be with you. And um, I'm, like many mentioned, I'm really glad to be back in this space, uh, though I do miss you and I'm, I'm very excited about just the coming weeks. You know, it's like um, this isn't over, you know, the pandemic isn't over, but um, it does feel like at least there's kind of a new chapter starting um, here at the table. And that's, um, that's encouraging, you know, just to be back um, and uh, here, I know we'll see many of you at Easter, um, and then slowly, you know, through the weeks and months as, as you guys um, start to feel comfortable and we re-engage here, um, I think that'll be really, really beautiful. So, um, yeah, so tonight, uh, hopefully we haven't had too many um, kind of technical issues. I don't know how all that <laughs> went, but I mean, it sounded nice here. I thought it sounded really good. Um, so uh, thank you to Scott and Gary for all their work on the tech side of things. They're trying to <laughs> work all the miracles. So um, I'm really grateful for them. And, uh, and all, we had a number of ministry team leaders here tonight. They're just kind of getting ready, kind of seeing the space, figuring out our processes and things like that. So um, at any rate, thank you uh, to all of those. They know who they are. So um, all right. So tonight um, we are, this is part six in our series uh, titled Lent from Repentance uh, to Renewal. And uh, uh, today is, is Palm Sunday. Uh, and so this is, it's, it's a fascinating day uh, kind of in church history and in the story of Jesus. Um, because on the one hand, um, Palm Sunday is a, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of a day of celebration. If, if you'll recall, we'll read the story in just a moment. Um, but the story of Christ is that he enters Jerusalem and the crowds, at that time, it's like the adoring crowds. They lay palm branches, thus Palm Sunday. Um, and you can see some of the palm branches in the background here. We got some palm branches. Uh, and then I see Lily May. She's back here. Uh, and she's got her palm branch. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of the, that's the theme. And uh, so it's, it's kind of, in, in a way, it's a time of celebration. They're, you know, the crowds are they're chanting Hosanna, which means basically God saves or um, the Lord saves. And so it's, it's happy. It's like this amazing celebratory moment. And yet, there's, if you know the rest of the story, there is a, a little bit of like a sense of foreboding because you know just a week later, uh, or a little less than a week, what those same crowds will be chanting then, which won't be Hosanna, uh, but instead crucify him. So there's, there's kind of um, a little bit of um, kind of a, a mixed feeling. You know, there's a sense of that foreboding as we um, kind of go into Palm Sunday and then from Palm Sunday into to Holy Week. So um, where I'm going tonight, the, the title of my message uh, this evening is uh, it's a question and it's what are you writing what are you writing um i think it will make more sense as we get into our, our two scripture readings here so the first one uh is very short it's a prophecy from the book of uh, zechariah chapter 9 uh, verse 9 and uh, this is uh written by the prophet zechariah many probably a few hundred years before christ Though the way, you know, Christians have read this text down through the centuries, it's kind of hard to miss the connection between this and then our second passage, which is Mark chapter 11, which we'll get to um, right after that. So um, let's start with Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly in riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
and then Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village uh, ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. So they went, and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? Untying that colt. (laughs) They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Verse 7, When they brought the colt to Jesus and uh, threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, so that's the story. And uh, what I want to to name tonight uh, is something that I find just really, really profound and beautiful in this uh, text. So to kind of set this up, so Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, um, and he's doing this both because it was the Jewish Passover, uh, which is this, this kind of memorial, this day of remembrance, uh, and, but he's also doing it because, as he's hinted throughout the Gospel of Mark, um, he knows what is to come. He knows uh, that the cross is... is um, Uh, kind of his next step in his journey. So he he enters Jerusalem with this kind of dual purpose um, in mind. And so basically Jesus, they they make their way towards Jerusalem, but Bethany, because you'll notice in the story, it says he went to Bethany first. Bethany's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So they have this stop. That's when he tells the disciples, go. uh, and, And basically you can see that he's kind of planning his entrance a little bit, right? And so he tells them to to get this this colt, this um, this donkey. And uh, what what I think is so interesting is that I mean, if you think of like all of the ways he could have entered uh, and what he could have ridden, like this is such an interesting decision. Like, because on the one hand, it's pretty clear he's not being mousy about his entrance, right? He doesn't just walk in or doesn't say, and he slipped in through the back way into the city. You know, that's, that's not why. There's, there's kind of a certain pageantry and fanfare that he's apparently accepting, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. That kind of ties in with the Zechariah passage of you, your king is coming victorious, right? So he's not coming in a mousy way. Um, and yet... What he chooses to ride uh, is so interesting because he chooses to ride this donkey. And, and, and so what I, what I want you to just kind of capture is like, this is the king of kings and the lord of lords. This is the Jesus who will soon spread his arms wide on a cross and carry not just like me or you, but like all of humanity's sin and shame and violence. And he's going to bear that and then conquer it on the cross. This is the Jesus who will soon be not only the crucified one, but then the resurrected and ascended one. And so that Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a 
donkey. Um, now, I get we're like modern people. We mostly drive cars. Maybe I'm like playing this up and you're like, so what? Um, so here's maybe, let me come at it from a different angle. Uh, when a Roman emperor entered a city, uh, do, you, do you think they rode a donkey? Uh, let me go ahead and answer that. Um, no. No, they did not. Uh, instead, what did a Roman emperor or a conquering king at that time, how did they enter the city? They found the biggest, baddest war horse they could find, and they rode in with all the pageantry into the city. And, and think about it. What does a war horse, what does that, um, like, what does that communicate? Because you can think of it, right, all of um, politics, it's all optics. You know, it's sort of like, it's like saying something without saying something. You want your, like, you want to not only speak a message, but you, you kind of want to look the part as well, right? So, so a Roman emperor, when they ride in on a giant war horse, like in full, you know, armor, sword, like, what, what is that saying? And think if you've ever seen, uh, like, those giant, I'm thinking, this is random, not, I'm going off script now. I'm thinking of the Budweiser horses. Is that tacky? Maybe that's tacky to talk about that in church. So, but like, you know, those giant Clyde, Clydesdales, is that what they're called? Yeah, okay, good. See, this is nice. Better without a screen. I have actual feedback, so I'm not making a fool of myself. Okay, Clydesdales, right? Like a giant horse, right? What does that kind of communicate? I am up here, and you, <laughs> peons, you are down there, right? That's what it, it kind of communicates. I am a powerful person, and you, the emperors are saying, you are less powerful. I am a somebody, and all of you are the nobodies, right? This is, this is what a, a Roman emperor, as they entered in this way, this is what they're communicating. And so here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. Like, what is going on here? Well, here's my, here's my big idea for tonight. That the stronger, the stronger you are, on the inside, the less you have to project power and status and success on the outside. The stronger you are on the inside, the, the less you have to project this sense of power, status, um, success, kind of pomp and circumstance, and I am a somebody, I am a somebody, look at me. Like the, that, that, in other words, we could reverse it, right? The more you have to do that, the more you have to play out, like, look at me, I'm great. Like, the more you have to do that, we all sort of intuitively know, oh, gosh, oh, are you really insecure? Is that kind of, is that what's going on? <laughs> you know, it's because the, the weaker you are on the inside, then the more you have to project, the more you have to do that. Which is why what I want to contend tonight is that although it looks, it might appear to the untrained eye that, that the, the Roman emperor or a conquering king riding in on their awesome war horse, like they're the cool one, they're the powerful one, they've got it going on. What I want to actually contend is that it's Jesus riding in on a donkey who is actually the powerful one, who is actually the secure one, the confident one. And I think there's something in that for us um, to learn as well. You know, because if you think about it, we could kind of take this principle and start to look at life and apply it in a number 
um, like a number of different arenas. Um, so I'm a parent, so this is often on my mind, right? If, if a parent who finds themselves yelling all the time, um, that's a bad sign. That doesn't actually mean like, yeah, I'm so powerful. I'm yelling to try to get someone to do something. That's a bad, like, you got to kind of pick your moments as a parent. <laughs> but if you're chronically yelling, that shows not how strong you are or like, wow, what a powerful parent. No, that shows what? How weak you are. Like, and eventually the kid just tunes you out like, hey, don't worry. He always does this. <laughs> right? So you can think parenting. Um, you can think of like leadership, like a, a boss. Right? Someone who's constantly barking orders, someone who's constantly reminding you about their title, um, that's not leadership. That's called having a position. Right? But, but if, if you're a leader and you're having to constantly remind people how important you are, uh, that's a real bad sign. Right? If you're, in a sense, jumping on that war horse all the time, it's a bad sign. Uh, I think another kind of example from life um, is, maybe the best one, is uh, a bully. Like if you think of like a bully on the outside, you think, oh, wow, oh, that true power. They are so strong. They are. But what do we know about a bully? A bully becomes a bully because they are afraid. A bully becomes a bully because they don't feel good about themselves on the inside because they are insecure. Otherwise, they pick on their peers. But what does a bully do? They pick on someone weaker than themselves, right? It's this sense of I have to build myself up by pushing someone else down. Um, in 2015, I was, uh, I was basically helping in a, a youth ministry at the, the last church um, that I worked at. And so uh, I, I was there and I, I remember, I mean, it was kind of cool. I had done youth ministry back in the day, so I had some experience and I love like teens and stuff. Um, but I remember there's one kid, I'll, um, I'll just call him Cody. And uh, Cody was just a straight up bully. Like this kid, it was rough. Um, I remember uh, like just kind of the way he interacted. Like it was, he was kind of one of those kids in um, youth ministry. We used to call them like EGRs. Y'all heard this term? Extra grace required? That kind of person. You know, like I would see him walk through the doors and I'd be like, okay, all right. Or just sort of like a quick little breath prayer. Like, okay, Jesus, I need to be strong. And yet somehow I need to communicate love and not pure judgment of this kid. Because this was a thing. Like he would, I mean, not only he was, um, like, he was a fighter. He's not only a bully, but just he was physical. He was kind of just genetically, he was a big kid. Like not so tall, but just strong. I mean, stout. And so he was constantly getting in fights. That was like, I guess, his love language. It was some physical touch gone wrong or something. So he's, I mean, he's fighting with kids and then like younger kids. So he was in high school. So he would pick and like bully junior high kids uh, and then make incredibly rude comments to all the adult leaders, um, nasty comments to all the girls. I mean, it was bad, y'all. Like this kid, it was he's a bit of a nightmare. And uh, so I finally, I went to the youth pastor at that time, Jake. And I just said, like, bro, what is going on? Who, what is the story here? Like, what, <laughs> what the heck is up? And so he sat me down after group and he started to tell me the story. And I, I won't go into all the details, but suffice it to say, um, he was basically abused, physically abused by his father and then neglected for most of his life by 
his mother. They eventually divorced, and then he kind of tried to go back and forth, but they were just constantly kicking him out, you know, from one place. Because because over time, this, this sort of rage just built up inside him until he was just completely out of control. I remember a few years after that, because that was 2015, a few years later, I'm in my house. One day, I hear a knock on the door, and it's Cody. And I'm like, hey, man. And he was basically going around just asking for odd jobs, trying to make money. He was kicked out of his house again. And it was, it was really interesting because both at that moment when he knocked on the door, but even before that, when I heard the story behind the story, so to speak, it was like I started to see him through such a different lens because I realized that all of that kind of macho, I mean, I remember how Cody walked. Like, he didn't walk. He sauntered. I mean, like, he owned the place, just chest out. I mean, it was almost cartoonish, the way he just kind of, hey. I remember that's how he would, like, greet, like, hey. So, like, just wouldn't even use a word. You know, it was like, come on, man. But, but I started to, all of a sudden, I saw it through such a different lens because I realized he actually wasn't full of himself in the sense of thinking he's better than everyone. Actually, deep down, he was terribly afraid and insecure. And as he's there, kind of asking me to, like, mow my lawn so he can get some money, I, I just realized, looking at him, how, how afraid, insecure, and really ultimately unprepared for life that he was. You see, the, the weaker you are on the inside, the more you overcompensate, the more you project this sense. And it's different ways for different people, right? For bullies, it's that sense of power. For someone else, it's kind of projecting that perfect life. Um, for others, it's that, you know, success, like whatever our path is, but we just start doing this projection thing, which is why though Jesus didn't um, enter Jerusalem on a donkey because he was weak. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey um, humbly because he was strong. Jesus wasn't humble because he was weak. Jesus was humble because he was strong. Jesus uh, wasn't a servant leader, someone who empowered and lifted up others and elevated others. He didn't do that because he was mousy and insecure and like, I don't know if I can do it. Maybe you should try it. Like, that's not why he's doing that. That's not why his ministry was characterized by that. He was a capable person, but he did that because he loved well and because he was secure in who the Father said that he was. Jesus, Jesus was, um, had that sense of love and that sense of knowing himself, being okay with himself on the inside that allowed him to stop all of the pomp and the circumstance and not have to go down that road uh, of the outside. This is one reason to come back to that prophecy by Zechariah that I love it. Because on the one hand, Zechariah, again, makes it clear, this is the king. This is the victor. How does Zechariah put it? He said, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. So, so he's, he's not saying the, the king will come as, a, um, as someone deeply insecure and afraid, you know, a real loser. Like, no, Zechariah is clear. He's going to come as the righteous and victorious one. And yet how Jesus arrives communicates the values of the kingdom, correct? Love 
service, humility. In other words, lowly in riding on a donkey. It communicates something. Okay. So, if you consider yourself uh, a Christian, uh, here's the question I'd like all of us to kind of reflect on tonight. Where has my own insecurity been pushing me to ride war horses rather than donkeys? Where has my own insecurity been pushing me to ride war horses rather than donkeys? In other words, um, where has my own sense of, of not feeling so good on the inside been, been kind of nudging me towards, at best, kind of foolish, at worst, incredibly um, hurtful, downright stupid, ego-driven decisions <laughs> on the outside. Um, where, where is this happening in our life? And of course, as I've kind of alluded to, this can play out in many different arenas. It's different for every person. So this can happen as, as a leader, as an employee who can't follow a leader, as, um, as a parent, as a student, um, as a son or a daughter. Like this, whatever season of life you're in, we, this can happen to any of us. Where when we're not feeling good on the inside, we start to project. So that's kind of the, the question I want you to sit with. Um, let me give a few kind of tangible examples uh, of this that might get your wheels turning. Um, reflect for a minute on what do you post on social media? What do I post on social media? And why do I post it? Right? Uh, now, this is kind of different angles for different people. Like the, a really common kind of challenge with social media is that, I mean, on the one hand, we want to kind of put our best foot forward, right? It's a, sort of like the town square and, you know, you're maybe not going to dress like a slob or whatever. Like, okay, I get it. But there, there's kind of a line, right, that we cross. It's, and it's strange. It's easier to see it in others often than it is ourselves. <laughs> like, we can kind of tell when others are like, well, that's not their life. That's not who they, right? And you can kind of see, especially maybe your close friends or something. But, but what about for yourself? Like, are you kind of projecting? Are you jumping on the war horse, so to speak? projecting a, a certain sense of like, oh yes, I've got the perfect life, the perfect, look at another vacation for me, you know, like what's, what's your kind of timeline? What does it look like? And how accurate is it to like your true self? You know, who, who are you really inside? Is that like showing up? <laughs> or is it this sort of false person that maybe even like your best friend would be like, what are you doing? What is, that's not you. If that's, that's a red flag. If your family or friends aren't recognizing the person in your timeline, it's probably not a, you know, might consider is your own insecurity kind of pushing you to ride war horses rather than donkeys. Um, what about crazy purchases? This is kind of budgeting. You know, why, what, what, what kind of clothes, maybe the car you can't afford, the house you can't afford, What's happening there? What, what's going on with these purchases? And is this a way where kind of like the emperor of Rome, you're trying to make your, you don't feel maybe so good on the inside. So there's this sense of projecting to the world. I'm awesome. I'm a success. Uh, even though you maybe can't actually afford it. It's all on credit. Um, that's, it's something to consider. Uh, what about um, kind of uh, the obsession and culture with our bodies and kind of being the perfect, having the perfect body? Um, I think this is, this is a particular issue um, uh, for like teens, specifically teen girls. Um, but honestly, uh, I think a lot of that social media, it's kind of back to point number one. Social media drives 
a lot of that. There's so much comparison, right? You're comparing yourself to like the 0.1 or 0.01 most beautiful people on the planet. And then like, oh man, I'm terrible. You know, uh, this is a real problem. But honestly, it's not just teen girls. Um, it's like all of us. I remember um, uh, just a few months ago, I had this moment with my son, uh, Dax, where he... Um, He's like, he's a thin fellow, and so, and you know, pretty athletic, and so he, like, pulls up his shirt. He's, like, in the bathroom. He pulls up his shirt, and he flexes his abs, and he goes, hey, Dad, look at this, and I was like, wow, dude, that's, that's awesome, man. Like, you're, yeah, you're strong, and then he laughs. He, he does this cocky little laugh. He goes, <laughs> I was like, okay, and he goes, I've seen you. You have a one-pack, <laughs> and I was like, He's like, I got a six-pack. You got a one-pack. I think he just meant, like, just kind of a little bullet, you know, or something. I don't know what it is. And all of a sudden, no joke, he's nine. And I felt insecure. I was like, what? I'm fine, man. <laughs> no, I didn't really cry. But it was this kind of moment of, like, a little bit of, like, feeling judged and feeling like, well, okay, I am getting older, and this is, <laughs> right? Um, I'm just glad I didn't see an advertisement for some ridiculous, like those infomercials with the workout equipment that you would never buy unless you just had that moment. And you're like, yeah, maybe that, the abinator or whatever the thing is, you know. Um, right, and I'm just glad because that would have been a moment where I just kind of jump on the war horse, make a stupid purchase because I, I don't know, I have some void in my life, I'm pushing 40 or what, I, whatever our little crises are. But right, these are all moments where our own insecurity kind of starts pushing us to to just get our priorities out of whack, right? I'm not saying like, who cares about working out? Like, obviously, be healthy, all that's fine. But but we've got to keep our priorities straight. We've got to, and we've got to ask the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing, what's, what's motivating me? What's pushing me? Um, another one, what about our reaction to feedback? When someone gives us kind of constructive or negative feedback on maybe how we came across or something, you know, how does that, how does that hit us? I, I don't know about you, that's hard for me. Like in that moment, I really want to jump on the war horse. I want to get defensive. I want to explain it. And all of a sudden, it's kind of, I'm off, you know, the chest is coming out. Like, whoa, who are you? you know? um, it, are we lowly? Are we humble? Are we able to receive that feedback? Uh, what about preemptive rejection? The way that we, we reject people who we suspect might be about to reject us. And that kind of makes us feel insecure. I don't think they like me. I, well, okay. Well, I don't like them. I've never liked them. They're not even a good person. You know, we start doing this kind of, and again, can you see how it's driven by a certain insecurity? Um, what about our, our, just my refusal to do things beneath me? Quote, unquote, beneath me. This idea of, well, I'm just, I'm beyond that. I'm too good for that. Would you, is that, is that a phrase you think Jesus would, <laughs> would ever use? The, the man who entered Jerusalem on a donkey. And of course, I could just keep going on and on and on because the war horses in our life, they're like all around us. Um, but let me just close, let me just close with this. Um, here's the thing. When you feel good on the inside, when you know that you know that God loves you, and when you hear the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and you have this inner sense of um, just, I'm okay. Now you no longer need to jump on the war horses of life so much.
now you no longer need to project this sense of perfect perfection, the perfect, at least for me, you know, perfect church, perfect family, perfect marriage, perfect, just perfect, right? It's like, stop, Brett, just be yourself. So I think if you've been wondering, like, what does it mean to ride a donkey, that metaphor in my life, you know, what, is that, <laughs> what would that even look like? I mean, yes, it's humility. Yes, it's, you know, being, it's, it's being humble and the servant of all. It's all those things, but also at a core level, it's just being you, right? This is why I think Jesus kind of rode in on a donkey. I mean, it's not like it's overly embarrassing. It's just nothing special, right? It's just normal, like a merchant riding into town. And he's just being himself. I mean, what if the end of the spiritual life, like we work for decades only to find that in the end, all God was asking us to be was just ourselves. And isn't that like the hardest thing in the world? I think that's, that's, a, that's such an interesting idea that maybe that's all God is asking from us. So in this season of Lent, I, I just want to encourage you, um, start being more, a little bit more reflective, self-aware, knowing, recognizing when you might be jumping on the war horse. And let's leave that behind and let's, let's be a church community uh, that just rides more donkeys. Sound good? Cool. All right, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I... I just, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this community and just the chance for us not only to worship you, but just to hear again, to remember again the type of savior, the type of leader, the type of king that you are. The, the one who rode a donkey, the lowly one, the humble one, and God, may that call us up higher higher to our true selves, higher to, to the sense of just the person you've called us to be. And God, may we set aside the pretense and the fake and the phony. And may you just transform us, make us natural, help us to relax, to be our true selves. May you do that work in us. It's in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.